0: Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one delectable page of Talmud each day. If you read the Talmud, as we do on this show, looking for self-help, and honestly, why would you read anything at all, if not to look for a bit of improvement, inspiration, and relief? If you read the Talmud, looking for self-help, sometimes you come across passages that hit well, just a little too close to home. Today's stuff, Nadarim 86, did just that for me. Smack in the middle of the page, we find this meditation. Have a listen. Rather, Rav Ashi said that this is the reason Shmuel ruled in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri. Although a person cannot consecrate an entity that has not yet come into the world, Kunamot are different. They are stringent and take effect in all cases as their prohibited status is considered akin to inherent sanctity. Get a load of this. When one person prohibits another from deriving benefit from a particular item by means of ekonam, a particular neder, a particular type of stringent vow, the forbidden item is treated as if it has inherent sanctity. It cannot be redeemed and can never become permitted. Because of its severity, a woman can forbid her handiwork to her husband by means of a kanam, even though she's obligated to hand over the fruits of her labor to him. And this is in accordance with the opinion of Rava. Mind blown. Listen to this again. The forbidden item is treated as if it has inherent sanctity. We're attracted to the things we can't have, not only because, like infants, we want those objects that are just out of our reach, but because we understand that forbidden items represent something larger, some inherent struggle that we're having with, well, with ourselves. And as someone who came to keeping kosher later in life, I know all about this struggle. So with your permission, I'd like to read a short love note I wrote a while back to the food I sorely miss. When Tablets editor, Alana Newhouse, was putting together a book called The 100 Most Jewish Foods, available everywhere fine books are sold if you don't already own a copy, I think you really need one. When she was putting together this book, she asked me what Jewish food I would like to write about. Naturally, I said I would like to write about treif, or non-kosher food. And here is my short meditation. For anyone contemplating the laws of kashrut the decision is inevitably reduced to a crude culinary arithmetic. Consider parting with Trafe, and soon enough, you'll find yourself mentally dividing everything edible into three groups. In the first, entitled, food I'm not likely to miss, I put shrimp cocktail and fried calamari and ham sandwiches, all of which I have always enjoyed, but none of which I realized I would ever miss if I resolved to no longer be a few cheeseburgers removed from the faith of my father's. Speaking of cheeseburgers, I put them in group number two, food I am somewhat likely to miss. Together with the oysters I enjoyed, slurping with my dry martinis, and the lobster I loved drowning in butter on breezy summer evenings with my family in Cape Cod. But group number three, reserved for food I absolutely could not imagine living without, contained one single entry, bacon. It was, after all, my original sin, the instrument of my fall from grace. I had spent the first decade and a half of my life blissfully unaware of its scent or its taste, raised in a kosher home in Israel where a hearty cholent was the peak of fleshy goodness. And then, one day, slogging through puberty, I slouched into a friend's home and smelled something transcendent. I understood with that one whiff What it must have been like to stand in the ancient temple and take in the smoke rising from the burnt offering, every breath making clearer the spiritual affinities between meat and the divine. I asked my friend's mother what she was making, and she replied that it was bacon. She might as well have said it was kryptonite. Bacon was a substance I had never imagined actually existed on the same planet I myself inhabited. She asked me if I wanted a strip, and without thinking, I said yes, I did. Listener, I loved it. The appeal was more than gustatory. It was emotional. Eating bacon was like taking communion in a religion of my choosing, casting off the yoke of tradition my parents had placed on my back without my comprehension or consent. I still believed in God. I still felt deeply Jewish, was still proud of my heritage, but with every crispy, fatty bite, I felt I was forging my own path forward, a path that didn't require me to forego life's pleasures, to pledge my allegiance to my people and my faith. I delivered a version of the sermon often, frequently over breakfast buffets where bacon took its rightful place beside the potatoes and next to the eggs. When I got older, when the wisdom of old ideas shone brightly and kashrut and keeping kosher began to beckon to me, I hesitated for a long time, mainly, let's be honest, because of bacon. Giving it up felt like surrender. I was never, I realized, going to rationalize my way into submission. If I was going to return to the purities of my youth, I had to just plunge in and do it. At first, every meal was a small heartbreak, defined by the meat that wasn't there. Was this burger really good without a strip or two on top? Was that salad really healthy without the gift of crumbled goodness? And most important, was my spirit growing even as my waist trimmed down? I got my answer one balmy afternoon, as we New Yorkers often do, on the street. I was hurrying somewhere when I passed an outdoor cafe where a young woman had just received her order. A BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich, the very spiritual balm I had ordered on so many drunken nights. I slowed down, allowing the familiar smell of bacon to settle in my nostrils. I expected to feel jittery, angry, distressed. Instead, I felt what might have been the greatest calm of my life. It wasn't a calm of comprehension, since I still cannot fully articulate why I decided to once again keep kosher. It was the calm of mastery and of mystery, of knowing that my soul, responding to strange signals from the primordial past, is being called upon to do something it doesn't yet understand, and that it can still command the gullet to do its bidding. By not eating bacon, in other words... I felt at the same time completely in charge and not at all in charge, which is about as good a description of life as you're likely to find. I still miss bacon, though I miss it less every day. Meat is great, but meaning is better. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and get your take one. Merch, t shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a tablet studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Rosquet, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Robert Skarmucha, and Mark Oppenheimer. For more information, go to TabletMag.com take one or email us at take one at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at take Dafyomi, Or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.